This is Film Tank. Tank, tank, tank. This is your last chance. After this, there is no turning back. You know, we're sitting here like a couple of regular fellas. We're going to make film history. Can you say that again? Just the way you say it. Baby, it's time to lose their head. They won't know what they're looking at or why they like it, but they'll know they want it. To episode 202 of Film Tank. It's a palindrome. Yes, just like uh, Tanay, or Tanet, or whatever the fuck it's going to be called. That's fine. I think it's pronounced Tenet. Is it really? No. <laughs> Tenet. Tenet. Yeah. yeah. Okay. I, I don't know. Yeah. David Tenet. That's not how you spell that. I know. I was just, I was just joshing you. you that would, I, was oh, just, I was just you, making a joke. You know, God, they're you. they're pronounced the same way. So I thought, oh no, I'm just gonna slip this in and see if Nick catches it. And you totally caught it, buddy. Good I, job. I felt it. Yep, you felt it. Oh God. So Alex Diegman, along with Nick Cheney and Tucson Egan, the Hello. usual crew. But who's who? Who is who? We may never know. I don't know which one to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I'm Tucson Egan. Nice to be here. No, I'm Tucson Egan. <laughs> Thanks for going with this. This is great. Okay. I know. No, fuck you. I'm Tucson Egan. Like, I know we're doing a bit. All right. You know, but I would like to at least equivocally state for the record that I am Tucson Egan. Fuck you. I am Tucson Egan. Okay. Um, I guess Nick has decided to really carry this bit. A uh, little too far, and I apologize to oh the listeners. That's so. okay. Oh my god, Nick, you fucking asshole! <laughs> Quit talking about yourself like that. Yeah, uh, it's Listen, really not necessary. I know you have depression issues, and you see a therapist, but um, that's just not what we're about here on Film Tank. Alex, move on to the next point. Okay, before I fight uh, Nick, I will. Fuck uh, <laughs> <laughs> you, mother! Oh my god. Uh, that was that was that was pretty good. Oh my god! Uh, so, um, for those who have previously listened to our little podcast here, you probably noticed a little change at the top. Uh, we have a new theme song and yeah. a new intro. Yeah. New era, do... new theme song. What do you Same call old bullshit. It's like air horns. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Bum, 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 bum. So uh, yeah. Nick actually took the time uh, to really put that together uh, and worked with someone who's been on the podcast before, Dan Brooks. That's right. That's um, right. So yeah. why don't you just, I guess, tell us a little more about what you what you did there? Yeah. So a little little peek behind the curtain. <laughs> oh, hold on. Let me put my clothes back on. Oh my God. Um. That theme song was definitely something that's been festering around in my head as something to possibly do, and I thought reaching 200-ish episodes was a good enough time to do it. And in, not in fairness, but uh, actually, we changed the theme for the first time yeah. on episode like 45 or something like that, because right. it used to have elongated film clips that I put in uh, the very first time. Now, I had the same music behind it. Just very, just kind of boilerplate. Yeah. 
so we've just kind of we had that for the first however many episodes, and then the exact same thing we've had for the last 150 or whatever it's been. Um, so yeah, it's uh, definitely uh, nice to have something fresh uh, to have to start us off. Absolutely, and I, uh, the music itself, the guitar sounds you hear, that all comes courtesy uh, from the recording studio called Apocalypse Cow, which Dan and his family uh, run and produce music from. So thank you, Dan, for letting us use the music. Mm-hmm. Um, but I thought when I heard that track, I thought those kind of guitar jangles uh, uh, sounded very rambunctious and I would say emblematic of the spirit of our discussion here a lot of the times. Yeah, it's a totally different tone than um, than our previous like theme song, and I like it. I, you yeah. know, I'm I'm all for change, and uh, yeah, thank you so much. Yeah, no, and thank you for uh, thank you to Dan who gave a much needed second pass after I made <laughs> a, f- a first mix of of what you heard and um, yeah, and all those quotes for a little trivia are from movies that we have covered in the first two hundred episodes, except for Kyle Chandler's quote from The Wolf of Wall Street, which is technically a movie we did cover in the very first episode we ever recorded and never released because it was always intended to be a test episode. So I still followed my own rules. It's good. So, yeah. No, I'm hoping uh, people enjoy it. And if people don't, um, too bad. (laughs) We're not going to change it because you don't like it. This is your new dad now. Thanks, Dan. (laughs) Thanks, Dan. So, yeah, anyway, special shout-out to Dan. He's always a uh, very nice guy and a, always there to lend a helping hand, as yeah. he did in this case. Yeah, Wonderful guest, wonderful listener. Lisa's out, Dan. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so, on this episode, we are going to spend some time talking about It and It Chapter 2. It Chapter 2 just came out a couple <laughs> weeks ago, and uh, this is a series that I feel like... I don't want to say caught people by surprise, but the size of the box office for the first film <laughs> was definitely eye-opening to me. Yeah, it was the number one of uh, rated R horror film ever made. I mean, yeah. I, can, I yeah. think I can like understand why that is. I mean, we live in a post Super Eight, post Stranger Things world where this sort of. I mean, I mean. Stephen King horror like horror horror books horror like stories and especially like this one in particular feels like the urtext to those original story to to mm-hmm. to those aforementioned stories so if you're really going to like drink this type of Kool-Aid you might as well go straight to the tap and straight to the tap is Stephen King so yeah, yeah. and like it, it's it's just that while as popular as this book this property was when it first came out and when it first uh was adapted um with that old like television uh oh the miniseries the old yeah. television miniseries <laughs> like i feel like oh, it's really awful. it's really <laughs> come full circle now that this this franchise the series has has sort of like found its second wind inadvertently just with the the sign of the times oh no absolutely um and i also think something to give credit to for both movies uh especially the first movie in particular just because it came first but is the marketing campaigns around them i mean just talk about prevalence of uh the imagery of pennywise and a balloon like when these movies are being advertised it is in any every location and form of media advertising you can think of, whether it's, uh, you know, 
Uh, I mean, there were viral posts on Facebook of people tying up red balloons to drains, which was actually in no way an actual studio thing, but just because people got excited from seeing that they just went out. So that was free marketing for the movie in and of itself that they didn't even have to spend time or money on. So um, It's just that iconic that people just thought, you know, I might as well just, like, fuck with my neighbor, and then turns out you're fucking with the internet. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, no, I mean, these certainly loomed large over the blockbuster, I don't know, mainstream horror landscape as of the last couple years. Well, uh, obviously it worked out fantastically for the studio and for everyone involved. Uh, For sure in the first film, but the second one, although it may not reach the same number at the box office, is still going to be a success. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, absolutely. Uh, So the films, uh, both of them were directed by Andy Machete. Is that how you say it? Machete. Machete, I think. Machete, okay. That's roughly, yeah. And, um... For anyone who did not read the book, uh, really just follow the story of the uh, they're called the the losers the losers club. club. Yeah, yep. uh, the first film solely follows them when they are children, uh, and the first occurrence of Pennywise the dancing clown. Although as the film progresses, if you had not read the previous text or seen the it's actually there's a lot more going on than this Tim being a clown, mm-hmm. uh, and then also uh, somewhere after, there's a turtle, but not in this film. <laughs> yeah. Uh, also, and then uh, it comes to light uh, towards. It's <laughs> <laughs> come to light. That's very Things funny. Things have come to light. That's very funny. Yeah. yeah. Can we do this entire episode without saying the word it? No, uh, the, I'm not gonna. The, I'm not gonna commit to that. The, no, the second film could not. I think you mean come to that. No, I'm not. I'm not gonna do that. I don't know if this could come to that. Ooh, yeah. there's a, there's a lot of words you could try to use. Yeah, it's gonna be tough. I'm not gonna do that. <laughs> Continue, Alex. Good. I was gonna say, good thing to stand your ground there, Tucson. Yep. Just like in Florida. Yeah, this is America. <laughs> That's what I'm thinking of when I said that. It's funny. It's unfortunate that that phrase has now been ruined. Yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of phrases that have been ruined. Like the word Trump itself has been ruined. I mean, it, it that is true, actually. I have found, my saying, found myself saying And then you pause and, and you feel... And I'm like, oh, fuck. fuck. Yeah, right? I don't want to give that name association with something that's somehow better or, you know, supersedes something else. Mm-hmm, yeah. That's also, what... having laughably bad hair is now, like, okay. Oh, seriously? It's <laughs> awesome. I mean, <laughs> your hair is not in the same ballpark as our no, current president. I have it. That's or, the difference. Or Boris Johnson. <laughs> uh, yeah. Yeah. That's, mm. yeah. Anyway. Or BJ. <laughs> so, anyways, the Losers Club finds out uh, that Pennywise is almost like in like a cicada cycle where he mm-hmm. will come back and be reincarnated almost in a way. Good every... reference, Alex. What's that? The cicada cycle. Oh, yeah. Like the really, yeah, that's a really yeah. apt uh, description. Well, thank you. Yeah. Paints a vivid picture. Yes. <laughs> Literally because when I was a kid, I hated cicadas. Yeah, they're so terrifying. Like, when I heard that they were coming back that one, I don't know, I've only, they've only come back maybe twice in my lifetime. Once. Uh, it's probably only been once. Once. I think they're it, about to be due back. I was say, back. it will be, I think, like four or five years from yeah. now. Yeah, because I remember when they came back, 
they weren't around my area too much. There are much. certain places where they are very prevalent. Yes, and when I visited my grandma, like her backyard, Filled. you'd walk on mm-hmm. them, and that was really fucking creepy. Mm-hmm. Like someone should make a horror movie about cicadas. It's pretty much right there for you. Anyway. Yeah. So, uh, it's 27 years for Pennywise and yes. his other... I'm just going to say it. That's fine. To come I mean, back. that is... I was going to say Pennywise is a persona. It is the actual entity. Yeah. Uh, and that's where we arrive in the second film, uh, as we have the adults, and for the most part, all of their lives are going pretty well. Yes. I um, mean, uh, in terms of, like... Being successful, no, yeah, and that's actually financially. Oh, no, that's explicitly uh, purposeful in the book, at least. They don't really go into it, but the idea is that they, in a sense, subconsciously sold their soul to secede in a field uh, that is marginally tough to secede in mm-hmm. for any one individual, whether it's Richie in the comedian world mm-hmm. or uh, Ben as being like not an architect, but like a architectural yeah like consultant. owner of a yeah. firm and right right whatnot, and, and so on and so forth uh, i you know the one kid who was like a um a risk analyst risk analyst yeah <laughs> yeah i mean you know they're t- now he was well anyway uh the only one they never even really mentioned but that's what she does is beverly uh became a fashion designer but is supposed to be like you know couture or whatever yeah like. she doesn't really have a job in yeah. this one she's more we'll of like a yeah, she's but got some stuff going that on. is explicitly made mention in the book that that's part of the mythos of like they forget, but they were also kind of trapped in these both alluring lives of like adulthood where they think they got what they wanted, but obviously they're miserable due to all the other uh, extenuating circumstances that suffocated their lives, whether it be abusive husbands or. Uh, uh, mirroring your mother and other things. That's interesting. I wish that um, sort of interiority was present <laughs> was in the actual in, in, a, in, in the, the actual movies. film itself. And I appreciate that you uh, probably went so far as to actually read, read the actual um, book because now we can ask somebody who is familiar with the actual original text. I was late. Uh, I. Asked Tucson if he would go see it, Chapter Two, with mm-hmm. me, and I buy his ticket because I was super excited and I really wanted to see an IMAX. And I would never ask somebody to go see the IMAX if I wasn't willing to like f- put the money because it's right. ridiculous. Mm-hmm. Um, but I was late uh, to that screening uh, because I was finishing the book. Like I had ten pages left, and I'm looking at my clock, going, "Okay, I can just finish it, you know, mm-hmm. whatever." And and we ended up getting there in time. But, yeah. Um. I that's I have finished the twelve hundred page tome that is it. Just in time to bask in this blockbuster. So, anyways, finishing up what is happening uh, in the plots uh, for the second film, they all come back as it is having its reoccurrence after 27 years have passed uh, and basically have to now actually come to grips with what had happened 27 years prior, Mm -hmm. uh, where clearly... uh, Depression is a major theme here in both of these films. Oh, yeah. Also, repression. childhood trauma. Well, yeah. and yeah. Oh, re- de- depression and repression. Absolutely, all the Eschens. Sure, this should have just been called Eschen. That's fine. Obsession. Ooh, that's Great a different movie. movie. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. We watched that like a month ago, and that is uh, woo, that's a hoot. Yeah, how about that one guy, that coworker of him, that may have been gay? Oh, like his uh, his like secretary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, why is he, like, giving up secrets and that kind of thing? Anyway. 
Yeah. Get obsessed. <laughs> yeah. Uh, there was that one line early in that film where Beyonce <laughs> talks about like having like the carpet pattern in her ass or something like that. Oh yes, I remember that. Oh yes. Yeah. Mm. We'll, we'll probably never do an episode on that, so yeah. that's that's as much as it's gonna get. <laughs> anyway, so, Nick, uh, since this <laughs> is uh, a Nick-led episode for the most part, and as you I... just mentioned, you uh, completed the book just yes. recently. Why don't you start us off and? Uh, Give us your thoughts on on both these films. Well, thank you very much. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love the book. I genuinely do think it's a masterpiece, which I don't mean that it's perfect, but that the sum total of its parts is something to be reckoned with. And the fact that I actually finished a 1,200-page book says a lot because I'm not an avid reader whatsoever. You're a librarian, though. I am. But, <laughs> but you're a librarian of media. Yeah, I was going to say, I'm a librarian who won't stop watching shit, so therefore never has time to read shit. Yeah. Um, so just reading is just not my medium. Uh, however, I've been slightly course-correcting that lately, but um, tackling it was always something I've always wanted to do, and honestly, after I got into the book, it never felt like, okay, now it's something I have to do, and it felt like something I just you know needed to do, and because mm-hmm. I very much enjoyed it. So... I definitely have a fondness for these uh, characters of the Losers Club and certainly of the mythos that surrounds uh, their dire circumstances and the way it channels uh, childhood fear and instills all that kind of, I don't know, almost mixed between nostalgia but also a a place in time that you kind of never do want to revisit no matter how good you have it as a child. Uh, It comes with its own price to pay. And I think that's what... The story of it uh, just does so well. These movies, uh, to talk about them both as a unit, because I definitely think it's very hard to rate them individually. Not that I can, and I will. <laughs> um, but this is very distinctly, as it's called, you know, it and it chapter two, one story made whole by the dichotomy of uh, the passage of time and yeah. where these characters start and where they ended up and how they can bridge the gap between the two so that they can even move on beyond that uh, in and of itself. And I gotta say, I think both movies actually secede for me. I think both of them put together is one of, I guess I'll say, is a good adaptation in the sense that it covers between the two of them so much ground between the book, and especially between the two halves of the books and whatnot, that I'm kind of astonished that it does get through as much as it does. And having said that, it also leaves out a lot, because, like, how could it not, you know? And so I guess I do think that, as far as adaptation goes, this is the right way to do it, because they didn't try to stuff everything in, even though people probably who haven't read the book would not believe that, (laughs) because of how overstuffed, especially the second movie, uh, feels. Uh, there's so much here that is, doesn't make it to screen, and nor probably should it have. So I applaud the way that a lot of things were excised, um, even if it doesn't always feel that way due to the pacing. But um, overall, I think the first movie is a slightly better film, uh, just being a more complete story, even if it's hard to call it that, because like I said, it's it's half of a story. And it's localized to one time. It is, and I think that special quality because even the book is not like that like when the book starts if the book starts in adulthood and then it flashes back to childhood so even the book never plays with the pretense that you know they're children first and then adults 
but for the movie to actually kind of pick a lane to start the story, I, I think that was the right choice ultimately. And it gave these uh, child uh, actors who quite a few of them have done a lot of things uh, and become very famous. I was say, Finn Wolfhard's career is like not in like Millie Bobby Brown's arena. But no, but I, mean, I was going to say, you recognize that bespectacled little kid mm-hmm. uh, anywhere now. And um, even like something like Jack Dylan Grazer was in Shazam. I mean, you know, like they were not who they were <laughs> when they started this. And Sophia Lewis actually also, she was in Sharp Objects uh, as the young A.B. Adams. And of course now she's, also, the young Jessica Chastain. So I still haven't seen that. She I've got to heard check that. off. That's good. Oh yeah, yeah. Uh, just, eh, mixed on it, but it's pretty good. Okay. Um, but I, iconically, she got to play the two people she looks like the younger version of within the span of like one year. So yeah. that was pretty funny. Um, so yeah, overall, like I said, I think the first film ekes out the second one as a slightly better constructed piece of fiction. It it just has a. I rewatched it two days before I watched the second movie, and it just flows really nicely. And the scares are truly, in my opinion, embedded within the set pieces of what these kids are up against and whatnot, like with Ben in the library and whatnot. Um, but I will say. No matter how scattershot I found the second film to be, and how rushed I thought the pacing was, because the last shit you got to get through, there is. Uh, I almost pretty much really enjoyed the second film in spite of itself because I kind of don't know that it's very good, mm. but it was never not entertaining to me. Okay. And that is value in and of itself for mm. any piece of media, I would think. It's an outlier opinion of, of like considering like all of the reviews that I've read and the impressions that I've gotten from, but you know, I having been in the theater with you, I would agree with that. Yeah. I mean I I wouldn't I enjoyed I think, it. I think the yeah. general opinion on this is I I guess I've You'd have to say it's pretty mixed, but I feel like oh, it yeah. leans, Very more, mixed. leans a little more probably towards negative. But yeah, I've been yeah. reading more negative than I have positive, mm-hmm. and I totally understand it, too. Um, I think what helped the second movie for me is that because, from my perspective, I had the residual affection for these characters through the novel, I didn't need as many gaps filled in because I already had it in my head. So I was kind of grafting on things I already know and love about the story onto this movie's version of the adult characters. And that's not necessarily fair because it's it's a movie and technically it does need to work on its own. But it's what I ended up doing because it's a property I love. So while I do think that there are some tonal issues in the second movie throughout, um, I told Toussaint this. What I left the theater with was kind of just being slightly blown away that I, after years of watching uh, blockbuster, you know, on the IMAX movies of of superhero and just really bad action remakes or and or, you know, fourth or fifth sequels or whatever, I was just so kind of happy because I didn't think I was getting this. I thought I was getting this slightly more straightforward horror movie. Uh, I was just excited that I got something that was just as fun and dumb and as energetic with an overqualified cast in the horror genre. Right. And with character that I already love because of my affection for the the novel in, in and of itself. So A lot of folks have derisively labeled this as the marvelization of horror, but 
Which When's I, the last time that horror actually got its due? Like, honestly. Yeah. Like, you have Tony Collette who gets passed up for a, a, a Best Actress Award, and, like, people have to keep on tailoring, like, all these high-profile horror films, to capital H horror films, as psychological yeah. thrillers in order to give it some type of pretense of, 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 what's the word for it? Some type of respectability. Yes. No, no. They call it quote unquote elevated horror. Elevated horror bullshit like that. Because we are living in the age in which A24 and other companies have, uh, shall we say, tried to distinguish horror pictures as just another film. Right. You know, like these aren't horror movies. These are, these are just real drama. No, it's a horror. Right. It's it's a horror film and you need to stop playing in this, in this rhetorical game that still, tacitly if not explicitly frames horror as a crass inherently lowbrow genre but, it's yeah. bullshit but uh, i will say um especially in the last decade when i feel like horror has has really sort of elevated itself in terms of the mainstream being interested in what it's doing um you know you have the sort of era of places like Twisted Pictures and things like that mm-hmm. that had a very specific tone. And now you see places like A24 or Blumhouse yeah. um, that also have a very distinctive tone. And I think that, that that kind of plays into this this marvelization as yeah. uh, it's been put. Because uh, A24 films have a very specific feel to them. Oh, yeah. And, I mean, and Blumhouse does as well. They're different films from each other, but... There's a house almost recognition, mm-hmm. a house style going on. It's almost as if that genre, like horror as a genre, does not have one singular tone, but rather depends on who is actually like bringing a story to it. Yeah, just and, like any other genre. Oh yeah, like. And don't get me wrong, I uh, the things we're citing, whether it's a twenty four, I mean, they did it comes at night, and things like Midsummer and Hereditary, which not everybody on this podcast like, but I, like I like all of these things. Mm-hmm. I just also like all forms of horror and this was something i haven't seen in a long time where horror got a big budget got like i said an overqualified cast and got to basically have fun with it all throughout now now horror did get a bit of a big budget yes. earlier this year with us yeah, yeah it did but then they but have to frame it as a as like a it's Jordan a, it's a Peele social is horror going for yeah social yeah. contemporary exactly so there's this intellectual whereas I don't think this version of it is going for anything other no. than a fun house no thing. I'm, I, I guess but I'm, I'm with you yeah I, I, I'm more talking about marketing and yeah attempting to have as many bodies in the theater as oh, possible for sure but yeah, it's still absolutely. playing in that same elevated horror. Like yeah. ballpark, which I I just think that it's it's a disservice. It's as much as it's trying to like set these films apart and like give them recognition. I feel like it it is ultimately a disservice to the genre and what people are actually capable of like e- expecting and bringing to that genre. Absolutely. Um, so to wrap up my initial thoughts, I'll say this. Um, uh. While I do think the first film is a slightly better movie, just as a total package, uh, I think the second movie is a slightly better adaptation. It feels more like Mm. what the experience of reading that book feels like, which is 
you're turning pages and you're going back and forth between childhood and adult and how one informs the other and, and, and it becomes inextricably tied to each other. Mm. And that is obviously toward the beginning of the story what their downfall is and what's causing them this kind of stasis in life and whatnot. Um, but I think overall here, we what I love about the It franchise as is as far as these two movies, is I think it's got great casting. I pretty much think all the children are fantastic. And I think most of the adults are well-casted. There's a couple I didn't quite care for, but I don't think they were bad, so I, it totally worked for me. Name them. Uh, ch- uh, the, whoever plays Mike Hanlon, adult, mm-hmm. um, I didn't quite... Now, that could have been the way he was written, though, because he's very different. He's the biggest change from uh, book to screen as, so. as his adult life. Um, in this iteration of Mike Hanlon, he has no racial identity as a black man where that is a prominent <laughs> thing in the book and I don't know how I feel about that and I'm just a white person. No, I, I, um, just you saying that, I, I <laughs> yeah, I, I totally feel that. Having yeah. watched the first film and the second film, I'm just like, like even something's Stephen King, not being said here. Oh, and even Stephen King, who's not the greatest when it comes to uh, race and mm-hmm. just writing that kind of nuance or whatever, he loves the N-word. Um, I was going to say, does... I'm assuming he does. I'm surprised Quentin Tarantino hasn't adapted one of his things yet. Does uh, he prefers to obviously have his own? Oh yeah, ink and pen. Yeah. Uh, now, does Pennywise have any racially charged moments with him in the book? Absolutely. Yeah. But not even in the way you would think. Like, it's not necessarily that Pennywise... No, that's not true. Pennywise does scream racial epithets at him. But mostly... <laughs> what the <laughs> no, it's, fuck? it's true. Fuck um, this clown. Yeah. What the fuck is... You? Who are you? I will say, the clown in the space. book is way more personal than the clown in the movies. The clown in the movies is fucking terrible. Like, I love Bill Skarsgård as Pennywise. I was going to say during mine, but I, since you're bringing it up now, oh, yeah. I will say it. Uh, I actually think he's the most underrated part of these films. Bill Skarsgård? Yeah. Absolutely. I wouldn't say that he's underrated. I'd say that he's like a star. I I feel like he doesn't get mentioned. He's a star. His performance doesn't really get mentioned. I I see what you mean. No, it's glossed out. No, it doesn't. But when you watch the films, like, he obviously is. I mean, for a film, like, what we were just talking about with the actual marketing of this film, it all revolves around imagery associated with Pennywise. (laughs) And he obviously, I think, has to be one of the strongest, if not the strongest, like, performances sure. in this film for the fact that his very image carries, like, so but much of the film. It, 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 it's one of those things where I feel like him as an actor was in a no-win situation with this yeah. in terms of how he was going to come out after this. Because if he's good, it's expected that he's going to have to be good. If he was bad... It'd be like, oh shit, another Tim Curry moment. I was gonna say, I think Pennywise is the horror equivalent of the Joker, which is that there should he's a not... clown. Well, and instead of committing, that... instead of you're, making people laugh, so are you saying there's 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 a high bar? There is a high bar, and yet the idea that the Joker, or in this case Pennywise, should be any one thing when it comes to like vocal register or anything, because if you compare Tim Curry to Ben or Ben Bill Skarsgård. Like, Tim Curry's doing this gruff smoker's voice, oh, yeah, be Richie, you know, whatever, whereas Bill goes in a very opposite direction and does mm-hmm. this kind of very high, squeaky, <laughs> yeah, and crusty type. Yeah, yeah. Um, 
whatnot. And his eyes twist around, and he has that yeah. like dollop of drool Apparently, that he like pushes off his lips. Yeah, he can do that. He can life. do that. He can move his eyes independently. The other actors other. did not know about that. Yeah, so they yeah. fucked with them. I, I saw that. I saw that picture. Now, yeah, with yeah. Bill Hader. Yeah. Um. So how anyway. did you do that with your eyes? Oh, you mean this? <laughs> yeah. So I'll pass it off. Um, I'll just say two really quick things. Sorry, uh, really quick. Yeah, but um, to recap, also, besides the casting, I genuinely think both films are extremely well shot. Like, these are some of the best composed horror films where, while there are quick cuts and whatnot, there's a lot of lingering shots that, if even if they're not trying to scare at some point, uh, they just look beautiful and whatnot. And uh, the lastly... I will say that I'm actually a fan of the humor in both these movies. Mm. I can understand why it would rub anyone the wrong way, um, but two things. One, the spirit of it comes from Stephen King's book. He did not make a dour book. He made a dark book, and he made a very challenging and psychologically just depressing at times book, whatnot. But Richie Tozer in his book makes jokes all the time, even as an adult and whatnot. And yes, even during psychologically complex and uncomfortable scenes, because at least for him, that was his character. Now, in Chapter 2, some characters make joke and or the film goes out of its way to make a joke, like when it comes to music cues or whatnot, that feel a little uh, dead on arrival. But I, like I said earlier... Because I don't think anyone can actually capture the psychological depths of it, the novel, on screen, I'd rather someone make something entertaining uh, in and of itself than fail trying to reach those levels of uh, dark psychological depths. That's fair. So that's why I ultimately ended up enjoying both films, including the second, which I think definitely suffers from tonal issues. Mm. Yeah, um, I went to, I went to go see this with Nick. Obviously, like you mentioned before, and I wasn't actually planning on um, originally going to see this, even though I had seen the original one. Right? It was like it just sort of like snuck up on me, and then Nick, like you know, just yeah. messaged me and it was just like, "Yeah, you want to go see it?" And I'm just like, "Oh, that is today." I was like, "Yeah, sure, why not?" And you were like, "I'm going on a trip," and I'm like, "Yeah, I know, but you should come with me first. And then, yeah, yeah, I know, yeah. Um, so. Watching this film and actually reviewing this film for Film Tank feels inadvertently like a, a full circle moment, and I'm going to explain why. Oh. Because one of our earliest episodes was Inception, wherein I asked, where are the 60-foot nightmare clowns with balloon animals for genitalia? And lo and behold, it's true. there's no balloon animal genitalia, but holy shit, there are a lot of nightmare clowns in this bitch. I've oh, got man. a secret. I know. It's, it's, it's uh, pretty nuts. I enjoyed... Um, I enjoyed It Part 2. I'm not going to talk a lot about It Part 1 just simply because it's been so long since I've seen that film. Yeah. I probably had a, you know, a overall positive impression about it, but there's nothing uh in the Wait, when did it come out? Uh It two Chapter 1? Yeah, two, 2017. Yeah, t- like 2 years ago. Shit, I can barely yeah. remember anything. I mean, I think like we're both years ago. we're all in agreement that we're doing this episode in reaction to the saga ending, so yeah. to speak. So. Yeah. yeah. So, I did enjoy um, it part two is like I didn't really come in with any like huge expectations from it. I kind of knew that this was going to be the second half of like like 
a larger story, and I was interested to see like what would happen with these characters, how they would interact with Pennywise. Um, I saw a couple of the trailers and thought they were really well cut. It seemed like really cool scenes. And for the most part, that's what I walked out of this film with. Um, I've heard a lot of criticisms about sort of the the CGI scares of this, that they're just, like, very tepid and lame. But you know what? I'm a big fucking scaredy cat sometimes, and uh, I I enjoyed them. I got a thrill out of them. The, uh, the old woman, when uh, Beverly was visiting the, uh, like, her, her dad's her old, old house, her yeah, old, house, her old, old apartment and stuff, and just seeing that naked woman for a second just, just gesticulating into the corner, a little wait for it. I, I thought that was fucking terrifying and hilarious in equal amounts like i just like i gotta tell you the scariest moment for me in this entire film came in that scene and it did not involve the old woman it was when the the father sprays perfume all over oh that was fucking creepy that was fucked up yeah that's that's... and 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 knowing everything about the father and obviously he is molesting her um it's made even more apparent in the first film Mm -hmm. uh but here you're just kind of just picking the pieces of that but it, it that that small detail was really fucked up. Yeah, yeah. I don't think this change needed to be made, but what's interesting is in the book, her mother is very much alive. No. And yet the father is no different, and I think that makes it slightly creepier. Because I think that's probably one of the things that they because deliberately she's, rewrote. She's just kind of allowing it. Yeah, yeah, and at one point she asked Beverly, "Has he ever touched you?" And she doesn't under Beverly doesn't understand the question, even though she is being abused. Because yeah. that's just a you shouldn't have to ask your child that or whatever. Yeah. So of course she just says, "What? No, you know, whatever." Yeah. But anyway, they probably rewrote that. Especially to sort of like make that more tame, such as like the aforementioned uh, black character who was like yeah. apparently a whole lot of not racism happens in this town. We'll talk about that later yeah. because I still think that this second movie solidifies his backstory as being the fact that they're just meth heads. Yeah. Like they're, even though it's what Pennywise says to him, it seems like that's the only thing we have to go off of. I mean, then they do show... Uh, that same newspaper, only it's rewritten in a, in a different it? text. Okay. Yeah, yeah, it, it shows a totally different text. Like okay. they're not just meth heads; they're they were just people who were got got burned in an accidental fire. Okay. It's really just Pennywise, just like turning the screws inside of his mind right. and just mm-hmm. like playing on his insecurities. Um, yeah, the opening for this film. Uh, I know that this scene because I've I've heard that the scene is actually in the original book. But with the uh, with Adrian Mellon, the the gay the yes. couple, um, and the one man who is brutally beaten and then tossed into the river yeah, and then promptly just uh, murdered by ma- mauled and murdered by Pennywise along with his partner. And I'm just like, I get, I get that this is supposed to show the the cruelty of like small town middle America, like juxtaposed with like how 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 that's just like the the encrusted top layer of this iceberg of just eldritch cosmic horror shit like there's a, like the, the the rot runs deep right. in this town like that's what that's supposed to sort of convey it's weird because it's just side by side horror yeah, yeah. It, it's it just felt kind of uh it felt gratuitous to me so the weird thing not to bring the book up right but no, please. Uh, I'm interested. I'm glad it was included. Okay. Because it's a huge part of the book in right. which that is the event that Mike knows, like Mike visits the crime scene. That's and, the inciting event. You know what I mean? So that that is all true in, in the movie. That's how it goes to yeah. it. But, um, a literal hate crime. Yeah. But the 
the book goes into the the ramifications too of what happens after the crime, uh, and we see the interrogation between the dairy police and the surviving uh, uh, person of that couple, mm-hmm. and the way he is not taken seriously because mm. he's probably gay. Mm. Uh, not mm. because he's probably, be- probably because he's gay. Yeah. Um, Likely because he's gay. Right. Yeah. And the cops are quote unquote being nice. Like they're not being overly antagonistic, but obviously their prejudices. And so it, it truly does show the systemic, uh, you know, look, don't tell type yeah. bullshit that all the adults practice. Look, in, don't tell. And if you see, look the other way. Right. right? Uh, yeah. And it only is t- uh, horror if it somehow intersects with your own uh, identity and whatnot. Mm. And so I'll say this one other thing too is that I'm glad it was included even if I understand why it would rub anyone the wrong way because mm-hmm. whatever because I think a bad example of something that was straight from the book but was not handled well was the abusive husband of Beverly whereas I thought the brutality in that sort of came out of yeah, it just kind of came and went. I mean, yeah. that is supposed to be there, but right. they're supposed to play much differently. Yeah, but they felt like, yeah, we have to devote some time to fleshing out the background of these characters, and we got to just speed this yeah. shit up because it's three hours, and so we're just going to make this man go into fucking sicko mode, like from zero to 100, one to well, five, let's I go. Mean, if you're if you're comparing it apples to apples to the first film, he's supposed to be just pretty, basically a stand-in for her father, right? Yeah, yeah I mean... Um, so that's no. I mean, I that's all, supposed that's to, all yeah. they cared about showing. True, mm-hmm. but, um, but it's yeah, weird I mean, just yeah. because of the the way that scene ends. But um, I will say though, in the attack on Adrian Melland, mm. I felt the brutality and I felt uncomfortable watching that. Mm. So therefore, I think it worked. Now, whether that's a feeling that anyone wants to live with or doesn't, yeah. or if anyone thinks that that's, there's value in that at all, which I can understand why there's not, whereas at least when I watched the Beverly uh, abuse, whatever, right. I was almost ready to laugh because it was so poorly done and such an afterthought to that character's development. And I understand that no one should really advocate for fridging the gaze as a trope or anything right. like that. Um, it is a small town story, and you know the story is about the losers. So at the end of the day, nobody except for the losers are going to get any tr- true, you know, catharsis or, or conclusion. Sort of this, um, I you know I, I I appreciate you offering the context of what was included in the actual book because that sounds really fascinating. So fascinating, in fact, that I wish that it was actually included in the film yeah. proper itself because without it, I just. I'm sorry, I don't... Oh, no, I, and I, I, that's I, why I don't I, think it does I, quite I work. Don't, I, I don't get that from that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, it sounds good. That's just I'm I just making that sure was, that if people right. hear that I back it up, right, right, it's right. because of that. Right, totally understandable. Um, but yeah, I enjoyed uh, the performances by the children. The children were great, as they were in like the first film. Uh, Bill Hader was the standout, obviously, of... Um, the grown-up losers. Everybody else was just sort of they were, they were there. Um, James Ransom was really good, though. Who was James Ransom? Uh, as Eddie, adult who, Eddie. Who was adult Eddie? Uh, you know, in Haywire Kid, oh, the one who yeah, dies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He was cool. I, I, well, not cool, but I liked him. Yeah. Um, <laughs> absolutely. N- the exact opposite of cool. Uh, there was that one scene where uh, he had to go get his totem, his item, and uh, he had to go to the pharmacy, and he was basically being coaxed into the basement uh, by Pennywise and entered into one of his hallucinations. 
and then I think that he's confronted with the leper from the first film yes. as well. And he does this – there's this weird bit where um, like while he's trying to untie his mother or the hallucination of his mother tied down in the actual basement because it operates on dream logic mm-hmm. and really it's just like playing on his like all of his, his – his, Anxieties just like knotted up into just like one like locus of a of a of a place, yeah. and then you have this leper who he's wrestling with, then uh, projectile vomits on him, and then it's playing a song in the background. Angel in the morning. Angel yeah. in the morning. And then were they playing that for comedy or was it oh, just absolutely. like? Absolutely. Uh, it's it's just uh, it was too short to have it actually yeah. be. That was the nadir of this film, right? Which. It's too bad because I actually thought that set piece was fantastic. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. Um, I didn't that that scene didn't really work for me. Uh, contrasting that with another scene that worked for me, uh, Pennywise under the bleachers. Mm. Oh, that was great. I really enjoyed uh, Pennywise under the bleachers and the sort of. You forgot to say three. Oh man. Yeah, that that's yeah. legit. Yeah, that was legit. Yeah. That 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 got that's me. That's how you do a jump scare. Yeah, that was a good. That as long good as you're scare. saying like. In advance, there's going to be a jump scare, which yeah. that scene is clearly doing. Yeah. But you don't time it to when you expect it. I'm on board. Yeah. You know what was great about that scene? That it sort of mirrored the first death from uh, the first film? No. Uh, what was great about that it, scene it was, yeah. is I thought there was actually a chance that she was going to just leave. And oh, yeah. Not. So, yeah. You were like, yes, queen. And then, and nah, then queen. Nah, fake nah, tears, queen. Yeah. Yeah. which was so good. Yeah. Which. In general, in those kind of situations, I would just assume that it's going to end poorly for that character. Mm-hmm. But I did have like a glimmer of thinking that eh, maybe she's just gonna just walk away. So mm-hmm. that was that was that was pretty great. Yeah, yeah. I thought that the uh, conclu- the conclusion was all right. I mean, when they basically entered in sort of the uh, the crater cavern where uh, it first made landfall, like Which, so many it, thousands of years the ago, same same place we see in the first film, right? Or it's at least uh, very similar. Yes and no. Basically, yes. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I don't remember <laughs> that. I just thought that it looked like uh, a final boss arena from like Half Life. I was going to say, technically speaking, they go further than they ever did as kids. Okay. Right. But I, it's the same geography. I right. uh, and it's been about a year since I saw this film or the first film. Uh, I thought a majority of the final scene was basically just a retread from the first film oh yeah it is but and that's why movies you know the book you're hearing both stories at the same time Mm -hmm. which makes it much more palatable Mm -hmm. than having to literally repeat it uh so anyway um yeah i thought the conclusion was was all right it's basically from at least what i remember the exact same thing that happened in the first part, which was they just learned to not be afraid of it and to sort of confront it with no, like because he kind of escapes at the end of the first film. Technically okay. speaking, the kids are very gung ho about defeating it, so they come up with weapons and whatnot, right. and that's why they came up with the uh, the in this in the movie they go with Mike's uh, bolt gun mm-hmm. from the uh, slaughterhouse from the first film yeah, uh, in the first film yeah. yes and in the book they come up with a slingshot uh, to shoot silver bullets basically okay. um, but that's how the kids see as defeating a monster as an adult they realize that all they had to do as kids yeah. what they do as adults and in principle they're still defeating their fear but yes. this one but in the second it. film they're actually just yeah. actually okay. defeating their fear they're actually defeating so them. I give it okay. credit for at least distinguishing that but yeah okay yeah um yeah Overall, the ending sucked. 
I thought the ending was kind of boring. Now, the ending, like the climax, or like, like the, the like denouement of the, the film? The denouement was okay. just sort of uh, hokey, kind of mirroring that of the the actual author's like hokey ending themselves. And I was just like, eh, it's like it's whatever. Uh, yes, I know Nick is pouting at me right now with his lip all puckered actually, out and I stuff. Actually, I'm so I, I'm sorry. Bill Hader I'm, was so good. In it I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Nick. Crying. But it just didn't really like it didn't work for me. Um, I actually really enjoyed the finale. I mean, when they pull up at the uh, wherever they're at the drugstore or whatever, and then the mm-hmm. camera pans. I wish that shot wasn't in the trailer, but I definitely even, even that was definitely know, filmed I mean, for the trailer. It still worked. That was yeah. definitely a trailer. Shot. Still was good. Still, when you see the kids riding the bikes uh, in like one of the closing shots, uh, I just thought it was good. When they yeah. jump off the cliff into the water uh, and swim around, like I almost had tears in my eyes, which were then broken by Bill Hader's like. When he lost his guy, he's like, I can't see any of you, so I don't know who you are. But like, I, anyway, yeah. but I can understand why this movie did not support the weight of that. Yeah, I enjoyed the uh, another thing uh, sort of tying into the accusation of the marvelization of horror when it comes to this film. I enjoyed the creator cameo yeah. by uh, yeah. Stephen King. That was sort of like a, a fourth wall breaking way of like sort of poking fun at his uh, at his own criticisms like oh yeah I was like do you want me to sign it no the ending sucked I didn't like it and I was like yeah that's really that's much good. better than his uh, cameo in the original Pet Cemetery where he plays the priest at the child's funeral oh. and he's clearly on coke at that moment because he barely say Bible verses yeah. anyway yeah. Oh, Pet Cemetery yeah um, but overall I I enjoyed it. I, I, I thought that it was a, a serviceable film. I probably don't have um, – I haven't seen the first film, and I don't really have as much – But you uh, have seen it. You haven't seen it recently. I haven't seen it recently, yes. Okay. I, haven't, I haven't seen it recently since it first came out, um, and so I don't really have like the necessarily context to make a more nuanced take on it. But just from a first blush, I was like, I, I enjoyed myself for what it was, and for what it was, it was just like a – big tentpole budget horror film that just had an ensemble cast and you're you're right like what nick said it was like when the hell was the last time we had one of those right so yeah so i uh i had no interest in it when it came out a couple years ago i my wife is terrified of this series uh because of uh, seeing it when she was uh, seeing the Tim Curry version. That would do uh, it. Even if those movies suck, Yeah, uh, Tim Curry in and of itself in that movie is well, pretty and horrifying. She was a child when she saw that and didn't know what she was watching, so it would just mm-hmm. all kind of added together. And I obviously am not a big horror fan for the most part. I mean, I've, over the years, uh, found some kind of horror that I enjoy, but... Uh, didn't have any interest in seeing it when it came to the theater, even with all of the fanfare surrounding it. Uh, however, saw uh, the first film a year or so ago and thought it was super mediocre. Uh, I, I still do. I, I think that the first film has a lot of really good moments, but that's all it is to me. It's just a collection of decent moments and other parts that really not, don't really provide too much. Uh, and I think the thing that's great about the first film is what most people really like about it, which I think the child acting is actually really good. Yeah. Um, that being said, 
the first film is tough because it definitely feels incomplete uh, and it makes sense. Uh, this is one of the very few series that it really does make sense that it isn't just one movie that was just trimmed into, you know, a skeleton of what the actual source material was to have one two and a half hour movie of the entirety of the book. This should have been two films, and obviously, from what you and what I've what, what you've said, Nick, and what I've read before, you know, this this should be two separate parts. Uh, so it, it is definitely good that it was split into two parts. Um, and I kind of, it's not that I wasn't interested in the second film, but I was just kind of, uh, and I actually thought the second film was pretty good. Uh, I don't think it's great and I don't really love it. Uh, but at the same time, I think the second film really accomplishes what the source material was going for. I'm saying that without having read it. But at the same time, this idea of catharsis and uh, overcoming, truly overcoming your depression and demons, um, I think really comes home in the second film. I mean... I think the thing that's really great about the way that it's played by its characters and its actors is that clearly a lot of these people uh, cannot have real relationships in their real lives um, outside of James McAvoy, who probably should be the most fucked up out of all of them. Um, and maybe he has just the most repressed uh, part. Actually, I thought his character was actually the worst character in the entirety of the series. Yeah, that which was is unfortunate. Really and yeah. that's kind of the way it is in the book in the sense that Bill is in no way... Like, he's just supposed to be the glue, so it works. On the other hand, um, even the stuff with him lamenting about Georgie wasn't as good as it could have been. Although, Georgie. I did like the final scene of catharsis of that, where he uh, confronts Drowns him. Yeah. I mean, like, it wasn't your yeah. fault. You were the best big brother. Yeah, no, like that whole final scene. Yeah. Like, everything leading up to that where he's like going around like almost half crying about mm-hmm. it, I didn't quite buy. But the actual catharsis of the confrontation was actually decent. I would agree. Um, I actually thought James McAvoy was really good in this. I am probably the only person who will think this, but I think his performance is actually better than Bill Hader's, even though I think Bill Hader was great. He should have. Okay. Uh, Bill Hader was great, but I thought James McAvoy actually gave a better performance, mostly because I feel like he had less to work with. Uh, that could be, actually. Yeah. I, I mean, I could see that then. Um, and Bill Hader is you know, able to do his shtick for the most part throughout the entirety of this film, where James McAvoy has to do an American accent, and True. he has to play this very run-of-the-mill character, which uh, I'm not saying that that's not his usual, because I think that's usually what he plays. I mean, other than, like, in Split, like, he usually plays pretty normal characters, and when he has gone completely out of his comfort zone, he's played shit like that Filth movie. Um, Mr. Filth. Wow, I just remembered that, and we actually did an episode on that. Sure sure did. did. Oh, man, I should have included that in the theme song. Man, I just... I just locked that away. I will say James McAvoy. <laughs> I feel McAvoy, like the kids from Dirty. 
<laughs> I will say James McAvoy did not sell a very crucial line, though, which was after he buys the bike. Oh. Uh, and he says, you know, this is fast enough to beat the devil. Yeah, that, that was that was kind of like a joke. So that's unfortunate because that's a huge thing in the book. Like, But it, because they actually never... I think say that line during the first movie. It is so awkward when adult Bill says it with nothing <laughs> to support it whatsoever. And nor did he. Uh, re- he kind of looked like he was about to crack up after saying that. Mm-hmm. So that was unfortunate. <laughs> yeah. Uh, that being said, I thought the three major adult actors were actually really good. Um, I actually think Jessica Chastain was the right choice for this, and not Amy Adams. Ooh. Um, and I say that even with talking about the look, because I feel like when we see the children here, I think she actually does look more like what uh, the... Sophia uh, Lillis. I think she look looks more like she would as an adult in this film than Amy Adams would have. Okay. Uh, that being said, I, I think Jessica Chastain is one of the best actresses out there right uh, now. Yeah. And I think that she delivers a very kind of somber performance where she's just kind of just skating through and being the exact same person as her child counterpart was um and i thought that she did a great job with that and obviously i did think bill Hader was very good as well um you'll have to fill me in a little bit on this uh because you said in the book these two parts weave together a lot more than they do in the films um, I was surprised how much the children were involved in this part. No, that's very faithful to the book. Um, mm-hmm. There's really no section in the book where you're solely focused on one or the other. It's very. I mean, you can get lost in a memory, uh, but the cross-cutting between past and present gets so pronounced by the end and more and more as you go on that it becomes like starting sentences and then ending it in a different tense. Uh, So even in the beginning, it is going from an adult having a moment and then thinking about a childhood moment that correlates to that. So that I was so glad because I was slightly worried because the first movie had no adults, which is understandable the way the direction they wanted to go in. But when people kept saying, oh, they relied on the kids too much, I was like, no, because that's the whole point of their adult lives is that they have to confront their child, uh, their childhood and remember it. And so it I don't it, it would have been pointless without it. So. So uh, I already mentioned uh, I thought Bill Skarsgård was great again as Pennywise. I thought he was used the exact amount of right of time and um Definitely was a, a great, uh, you know, horror icon villain uh, in this film. And uh, so let me get to some of the negative things that I thought about this film. Please. Uh, because I definitely have some of those. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are three major things uh, that I thought were, <laughs> should have been a lot better. Uh, the first uh, that I thought was just not horrible, but just should have been a lot better was the entire backstory of what Pennywise actually is. I feel like everything about like the tribe that Mike goes to visit and the whole backstory surrounding that, like should have been a much more important part of the story than it was. Cause I feel like they're like, Oh, there's the three dots. And then you have to look at this leather book and then uh, we'll kill him. And that's it. No, that is completely made up for the movie. Oh, uh, boy. 
Oh, even worse. Uh, <laughs> the backstory, which I'm not going to explain, in the book is so cosmic and abstract that I understand why they made it up for the movie because that would have been a nightmare to try to sell to Warner Brothers. Yeah, it would have been like any visualization trying of to that. adapt like Cloud Atlas or something like. I was going to say really the twenty. <laughs> Who would minute... try to do something no, was... like that? Adapt Cloud Atlas. Like the twenty-minute <laughs> sequence. Sounds like a fucking nightmare in the, in the Tree of Life, the creation of the universe sequence. Mm-hmm. Like that is akin to what Stephen King does when he tries to explain. Oh uh, my god, is the, the origin of it like the, the fucking episode no like the fucking episode of Twin Peaks? Of Twin Peaks when I you mean, realize that the atomic bomb is the actual origin point of Bob? Yeah, no, in the sense of like grand proportions and That's shit. That's fucking awesome. Yeah. I wish they did that. No, like it in the book is created by a turtle and the turtle created it and the turtle is like a good thing but he's also an ambivalent thing and it is an evil thing anyway it's so crazy but the turtle so is a cosmic creature yeah it's very uh lovecrafty and in a way that makes no sense but also is kind of spooky whatever um i remembered earlier you asked me what you i had said before the movie came out that there was a scene that i didn't know how they were going to do if they did it uh and now i actually exactly remember what scene that is and that it ties into what we're talking about now in the book uh well, actually, I'll start with, in this movie, Mike takes uh, Bill to his uh, shack up, I guess, in the library, in the library which is kind of weird, because no library has a fucking room for... You put more books in empty rooms, that's not... Anyway. Um, but he takes Bill, and he gives him that little... Not gives him, but he shows him that thing where he opens it, and then he has that, like... Vision quest yeah. shit, right? He's 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 drugged him at this yes. point. So yeah. that was the movie's version of explaining this mm-hmm. and of how to actually get the characters to understand it too. Mm-hmm. In the book, the scene that that best correlates to is that the kids have a moment in which uh, Ben Haskum, because he's always at the library and always reading, uh, reads about this technique that Native Americans have always used to reach a higher plane of existence and knowledge called uh, the, a smokehouse, where what they do is they uh, gather around and they um, get so close to a fire basically, that the heat from the flames and the kind of exhaustion will start to do things to their head, right? So when the kids actually, neither the kids, not the adults, but when the kids all circle around to do the smokehouse for a night, they all have visions of, and then it goes into the passage. Kush coma! Pretty much, of of it landing on Earth, of the turtle creating it and whatnot. But I don't think that they were, and that's why I was slightly skeptical, I didn't think that they were going to actually let the kids be the ones to have that vision, so to speak. So here they just winked it to, oh, Mike went and met a couple of Indians, and <laughs> they gave him a little box. And yeah, that that part, I, I didn't... No, it, it, didn't, it doesn't work at it, all. It, yeah. Especially when he's like, you didn't show me the fourth side of this, because yeah. I'm like, what? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, that that was. Yeah. Anyway, no, that was rough. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, the other part, uh, well, the second part that I did not really care for was the uh, entirety of the single serving sections of everyone trying to find their token. Uh, that dragged on for like fifty minutes, and it just like was tedious because. 
like they play they they set the groundwork that we're going to just follow each person through this event after the second one i was like fuck there's still four more of these and ah like in the theater like i honestly and i was in the theater no i was in the theater by myself so i got my phone out i it that's Ooh, you're a bad patron there's no one else in there. You're a bad patron. Okay. I do it if there's nobody else. I was going to say, if, if there's one person, sure. I don't because sure. I'm just that anal mm-hmm. about it. Yeah. But. I, I'm i no. in the same boat. Like, yeah. I, if there were other people or one other person or but two I've other people. But I've been at 9 o'clock screenings when there's nobody else in there. And I mean. Yeah. No, I, it's, it's <laughs> bad. But yeah. um, I will say this mm-hmm. about that passage. I definitely understand the tediousness to anybody who watches it, whether they've read the book or haven't read the book. Like, it's not the best-paced thing. I'll say this, though. That's probably my favorite passage in the book. Um, But in the book, it's slightly less literal. Um, What I don't like about what they did in the movie is that they made that a fucking Horcrux mission. (laughs) There is nothing in the book... That suggests that they need to find any kind of item. Physical no. item. Mike Hanlon, when they get to the Chinese restaurant and they all reconvene and whatnot, n- uh, understandably notices that nobody can quite remember everything. And he goes, before we can even fight it, y'all need to go back to your childhoods. And you need to go find where moments happened that would have defined you as a person. Y'all need to figure some shit out. Pretty much. And he goes, and half of them don't even know where that place would be, so you kind of get the idea that they're inexplicably drawn to places and whatnot. So it's more of a place for them to face trauma, which they definitely do in the movie, but it doesn't end with this, like, ah, I got this item and whatnot. And I feel like that cheapens the tediousness of it, where if it was slightly more abstract... And you could have cut out moments of them, like having to get items and whatnot. It could have worked a little bit better. But I definitely understand that even in the book, you are reading pages upon pages of the same kind of event over and over yeah. for each person. So I get that. But God, it was fun to see the Paul Bunyan scene <laughs> actually put on screen because I didn't think they were going to have the budget for that for CGI, but they did. And it was good. Yeah. Uh, the last thing I will say is that I feel like the climactic scene went on about to be too long i thought that was that is where i agree where i thought that did feel long in yeah. a way that the walking tours did not for me personally um because they were mostly doing the same thing but they're all in the same room like that's what was where it got a little bit much for me for yeah sh- for sure i mean everything about that final scene where they have the descent down to the final level and then they have the big red balloon and then the spider virgin of uh of pennywise and then that just keeps on going and even though it does have some variety yeah it just it just uh, all the oh detours were good i thought i agree um as far as like the image of beverly in the toilet stall which was a nice callback to the first film of one of the few times where she felt very not intimidated but literally trapped and whatnot and um and a few other things i thought were good but the actual actions in the cave where they're literally running around in circles was pretty bad yeah and and again it just there were too many i don't want to say just direct recreations of the first film but it felt it it, this is admittedly as someone who did not go back and revisit the first film 
uh, felt like, oh boy, I've seen this before, and it's not in a good way. <laughs> no, yeah, absolutely yeah. for sure. Yeah, so, so I don't know. I guess we can we can talk uh, a bit more just about general things about about the film. I feel like we've yeah. hit on a lot of things already. I only have one more major thing that I want to make sure. Okay, why mention. don't you go ahead and just mention it right now? Well, <laughs> um, I will say my chief negative as a book reader was the handling of uh, Henry Bowers, uh, the, the the bully. I Yeah, that was weird. That was very it much is weird, a, a... And it didn't work yeah. the way it should have. It's very much a Stephen Kingism. Oh, yeah. Where, where you have, like, the, the bully who grows up to be a fucking sociopath, and yeah. then he comes back for, like... And then he's just sort of written off like he's just... Exactly, and that's what's weird about it. Because I actually Why thought even exist? his first two scenes were so good that I was so excited about where it was going to you know go. Because I thought genuinely, A, the introduction to him in the mental hospital, which is best in the book, you know, it's where he ends up. Mm-hmm. Because he does, in fact, murder his father um, at Pennywise's, uh, basically, direction. Yeah. Um, but for, from him seeing the balloons outside the window... To him having the moment in his room where he sees the one balloon, the sound design of him trying to grab that balloon and get it out from under the bed was very uncomfortable because I was like waiting for the jump scare. You know? oh, yeah. I thought those two scenes were fantastic. From the moment he escapes from the mental institution, which he, that's what happened, and he, whatever, I just thought the movie completely botches all dramatic resonance of what that storyline is supposed to be. And trades it in for a lot of cheap jokes. I said to Alex before we recorded this that the moment in which uh, Eddie Kasprak murders Henry Bowers, uh, you know, the asthmatic kid but grown mm. up, yeah. uh, is such a cheap scene in this movie when in the book it's harrowing because you take arguably the meekest kid in the Losers Club, you know, uh, and in the as an adult... Uh, Henry Bowers is, and he's being controlled by Pennywise, you know what I mean? And he's being sent to the losers uh, where they live in in the hotel, motel, whatever, to try to basically either kill them or bring them. I'm sorry. I hate hate to cut you off. That also made no sense to me. No, the movie doesn't quite go. What's that? Explain that, I would say. Explain what? The scene that you were... Well, I was going to say the connection between Henry Bowers and Pennywise. I'm I'm going a different direction here. Sorry. Okay, sorry. Okay. I was really off-put the entire time they're in that motel because there are no employees of the motel seen at all. That is weird because there are in the book, so I don't know why. It's not like that's even a Stephen King-ism where they were trying to make it creepy or whatever. Like In the book, there's a running gag about how people keep calling Bill in the middle of the night yeah. and the desk clerk is fucking annoying. No, like, like this, <laughs> is, this is like no, yeah, that some made weird... No sense. Like, Shining referenceism, which is really stupid. Which then they literally do during Bev. That also was actually pretty stupid. I, I agree with that too. <laughs> um, but um, the the Henry Bowers subplot um, when Eddie Casbrick is forced to basically kill him in the book, it is treated as it should be, which is that this you know meek young man or old whatever young man I don't know uh, this ends meek up, man from yeah. a, from a meek childhood yeah ends up killing his high school bully and there is nothing cathartic in it you know he he does it out of self defense and it's horrifying because of what it means for him they clearly a, wanted to go in a different direction with yes. his character because uh, moments later he has a moment like the guy uh, in Saving Private Ryan where he literally 
has the chance to save his friend and he oh doesn't yes, yes. Uh, and that's after he stabs him uh, which is weird because that's not in the book no like eddie is <laughs> yeah. supposed to be a whatever but he will do what he needs to which i think is obviously to me at least because they are trying to save his big moment for the finale yeah so for sure. but uh, yeah it's that scene that you're referencing is really weird yeah I chuckled at the mullet thing when I was in the theater. I mean, as did I, but I definitely, if I rewatch it, I probably won't find it that funny because oh. I'll be expecting it. You yeah. know what I mean? Um, but the whole Henry Bowers thing is just so bad. I mean, Henry Bowers is a force to be reckoned with in the novel as an adult because he's controlled by Pennywise. And when he goes to the library to fight Mike Hanlon, that's when the racial epithets come out because Henry Bowers even not controlled by Pennywise, is the son of, uh, of, uh, of Belchbauer, whatever his name is. Who's a clan member. Uh, yes, and who is upset by Mike Hanlon's father because they were in a similar career path. I think it was like farming or something. Mm-hmm. And he blames him because, quote-unquote, he's getting all the opportunities in the world because he's black. I mean, mm. it sounds <laughs> like talking points from 2019 and, you know, a Trump campaign type shit. Right. Uh, economic anxiety, whatever. Right. When in reality, just he's just a fucking alcoholic and he's a horrible person. You Same know? as it ever was. Yeah, yeah. Same as it ever was. Yes. Um, and so there's so much in there where it gets uncomfortable because as much as Pennywise is controlling him, you also know that all Pennywise is doing is opening the door to the very thoughts that he already has and whatnot. And also, there should have been way more ambiguity in the casting of adult Henry Bowers because one of the creepy things is that they should have used the person who played him in the first film and made him look a little older because there's supposed to be ambiguity as to whether Henry Bowers actually grew up at all physically Mm. from the moment he killed his father. That would have not made sense to the audience. It wouldn't, but I'm not saying Stephen King explains it that much, but it's supposed to be... But Stephen King doesn't... That would have been... I feel it, like probably. I feel like if you would have brought that in front of a test audience, they would have probably. most people been like, "What?" Probably, I guess, because it was so pronounced older. Whereas I felt like the casting of the other, like the Losers Cub, looked like really. I don't know. <laughs> Jessica Chastain's clearly forty. I mean, they're older, but he just looks like bloated and whatnot. Like I don't know, he just looks like a. He's been in a mental institution for thirty. I mean, years. I get, but yeah, do, but do they yeah, get, his skincare, get, his skincare routine <laughs> has been sort of interrupted for the past like however so many fucking years. But do you think they get fed? I mean, no? I, I, I guess. You think they let them have face I mean, masks in there? I guess yes. I, I will yeah. say he looks exfoliating rubs. Oh. No, he he looks like the Hamburglar who's been in jail for thirty years. Okay, so. Keeps on stealing those fucking hamburgers, man. Puts the mask back on and he gets out. Nobody cared about me before I put on the mask. This <laughs> has a British accent. Uh, well, anyway, that's a minor thing. But in general, uh, that's just, I almost wish it wasn't in there at all because it doesn't quite live up to what it could have been. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it's kind of, I'm kind of, I think this is more just not having an understanding of, of Pennywise as an entity. Uh, he's an evil clown from space and made up of three lights. Uh, there are three space. lights. Okay, I, I've gotten that. Um, but I'm a little confused on the logistics of where he can be and when. Oh, there's no uh, fucking 
consistency. Yeah. So even not. in the book. Okay. I mean, I mean, I guess there's a slightly more rigorous in the book, but that never bothers me about this particular that story. But me? that's what's scary about it. You never know where he's going to be. It really just depends on the plot. It's not even about knowing. Like He's just driving around and being his chauffeur. For chauffeur. I guess. And oh, you're talking about into... the dead person. Yeah. Okay, so that does happen in the book. And that's Although in not the book, Pennywise? No, that is Pennywise because he... Uh, I mean, it's stupid, but <laughs> I'm just saying. like That is physically not Pennywise. It is Pennywise able to do shit. Like, if he cannot get there, which he can't really go beyond drains and whatnot, other which than... Is, if... Which is, I guess, what I'm asking because... Yes. I think that's a hallucination that Pennywise what? induced inside of him. No, it's not a hallucination. It's basically he gets that cadaver to drive him around. Although in oh, the book... Oh, that's even more fucking... And, and, it is, and, and it's and, creepy. And bring him the knife back, too? Yeah. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I'm not saying it makes sense. No, but, it doesn't. Uh, in general, Pennywise is only actually... Or I should say it is only uh, actually present when he is, like, below... Whether he's in the drains or in the sewers. Or in the carnival. And the carnival, that is the one scene that is famously, they kept touting that they wrote for the movie. Uh, and it shows because that doesn't make sense with uh, what they normally do. I And I'm sure Tucson will agree with me. The mirror thing has got to go. That is yeah, there's getting a, really tired. There's a whole does, but lot what about of Bill Skarsgård tongue. There's a whole <laughs> lot of um, it's like Wiley e. Coyote mirror showdown <laughs> shit going on in movies nowadays, and I'm just it's like, getting... it was great in the '80s, and now it's coming back, and I'm like, man, I don't, I don't give a fuck. It's getting tired. It's yeah, getting real I agree tired. with that. Yeah. Did you guys like? I know it was in the trailer, and there wasn't that much more to it in the movie. But did you guys like the scene in which you get to see a version of Pennywise without the makeup? Yeah, I thought that was pretty well done. But, did um, oh yeah, where he's like literally yeah. ripping his face. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He... I thought you were talking about the. Um, it's actually part of that same scene where Beverly is looking yeah. on the uh, the wall and sees the portrait of what so, we think to be Pennywise that, from the past, but it actually it's just a facsimile. It's just part, part of the whole of hallucination. Also, uh, I mentioned earlier that I really thought the perfume uh, aspect of that scene was terrifying. Yeah. yeah. That part of that scene I actually thought was really good because that was almost more fucked up than him trying to murder her because he's like, let me put my makeup on. I'll see you later. (laughs) It's like, oh, no. Yeah. Oh, God. And yeah, him like ripping his face apart. Like, see, that's in this era, like that's what CGI should be. Like it should be aiding to scenes and bringing things like that to be able to be shown on screen and not just everything that's above four feet has a green screen. No, there was three instances of CGI that I really liked. That one, uh, I did like the visualization of Paul Bunyan because I thought that was Mm going to be a tough scene to do in general, but I actually did think it had that wooden, shiny veneer down where I completely bought it as a moving statue. Mm -hmm. And I also very much enjoyed in the final climax confrontation scene, uh, the not melting, but the deflating of Pennywise's body into, like, the stub of the center of the cave when he's kind of, like, and, like, crying and whatnot. Yeah, that felt like 
little dying Voldemort to me. Oh, absolutely. And <laughs> it kind of felt weirdly like 80s. Like you would find that in like a... Appropriately uh, 80s. Yeah, but in a Steven Spielberg, you know, young amateur practical effects. Right. Um, even though I'm sure it was CGI, it just had the veneer of something that just looked weirdly practical that you could poke or whatever. Some of the stuff I didn't love, like the Chinese restaurant scene, which I absolutely love, but some of those creatures did not look great. Oh, the creatures didn't look good. That, no. the sort of aha moment with the waitress coming back and they're just oh, yeah. beating the shit out of all of the yeah. furniture and uh, plates and everything. It's like, uh, oh, check please. Yeah. That was that was pretty good. Yeah. Everything about that scene actually is really, really good. Everything with uh, the fortune cookies um, and referencing that Stanley didn't make the cut. We didn't even mention him uh, committing suicide. Yeah. Uh, I am assuming it is, but the letter he writes is word for word in the book, or it's that not? letter is not in the book. Wow! Yes, that okay. was a the best thing the movie made up mm. um, because the movie basically does, or the book basically does end not without mention of Stanley for sure, but in no way is he the thing that ties them together, and it did make perfect sense in the movie. Yeah, I mean it. It makes especially after they overcome Pennywise. It makes it, I mean, it doesn't make his character look, oh, it's weird because I don't want to say it makes him look good, but at the same time, like, it makes it look like it wasn't just him just giving up on life because this came back. Because, like, cause that's what I'm saying. It's hard to say anything yeah. about because it it's like towing a weird line because yes he does commit suicide right so but yeah, yeah. i mean i kind of forgot until you just mentioned that there was that weird kind of sentence or two where he explained that like he also did it so that way they'd be stronger or something yeah, like that which is which, which is definitely eh. bullshit and i think yeah. it, it reads well enough that it's ambiguous so that like myself who wants to read it as he was cowardly and not in a pejorative sense but just the fear came back to him, and he was not going to deal with that because mm-hmm. that's who Stanley Uris is really supposed to be throughout the whole thing. Um, but I definitely love the, the the thematicness of that letter being read over everybody's uh, you know happy endings or whatever. Um, I did as well. The last thing can I bring up before we do final ratings? Absolutely. Um, I just want to make sure I mention the actual, uh, shall we say. <laughs> Not quite explicit, but certainly uh, drawing upon the coded uh, homosexuality of Richie Tozer's character in the book. In the book, Richie is definitely not gay whatsoever. Uh, In the film, I think it's made abundantly clear that he is. Oh, absolutely. But the book has always, uh, shall we say... uh, had people speculate because of one scene in particular that was in the book in which after uh, Eddie, uh, I think it's either after he dies or something, but after something happens to Eddie, when he's saying like things to all of them and all of them are saying things to Eddie, uh, Richie leans in and gives him a kiss on the cheek. And there's nothing else in that book that in any way supports anything between them or mm-hmm. even Richie as, you know, whatever. So you can totally take it as a very tender moment from the usually sarcastic and, you know, whatever. But people have always said, like, well, it was the 80s. Maybe King didn't want to write something explicit because of whatever, whatever. So King I was... wrote a scene where a, a, a 
gay couple was assaulted by a bunch of fucking bullies and thrown into a fucking river. I know. And well, I'm, that was know, a that was a minor character. Yeah, that was a. Um, uh, no, uh, I'm just uh, saying. Uh, that's how uh, it worked. How many then. times did he write the N word in that book? And then, oh, like, no, he loves the N word. I didn't know that. Oh, he loves it. I've read The Shining <laughs> and It in this past. It's year. been a while since I watched. Uh, I, since I read The Shining, so maybe and let me tell you something. In It. The N-word never made me uncomfortable in a way that I felt like I shouldn't have been uncomfortable. Mm-hmm. Like, it was always like, oh, this is... It's always used yeah. in order to, to, to code this person. It's yeah. like, oh, this guy is a real motherfucker. The Shining, boy, do characters who not matter whatsoever are allowed to go on very weird racial tirades <laughs> for no reason whatsoever. Yeah. And there I was like, oh, fuck. Yeah. Um, but anyway, uh, Richie Tozer's... Uh, uh, homosexuality in this movie I thought was pretty well done. I almost wish it was slightly more explicit. Uh, I don't mean that in ex- explicit. like, um, But I do think it's almost a cop-out to actually never fucking say it because if his whole arc is being repressed, then his arc can't, shouldn't have to end with him only repressingly uh, so, carving the uh, thing. You in. know what? Here's the weird thing about what you're saying, yeah. though. Um, I feel like it wouldn't have really made any sense for him to like pronounce that at any point throughout the film. I don't know that he had to say it to any of the other characters, okay. but if they showed even a scene of maybe uh, of the post dairy life where he was in a gay bar, I'm sorry, but like it would have went a long way to showing that the film was okay with him being gay but i feel like at that point it would i guess that's my only only kind of disagreement with what you're saying is i feel like it would have made like if he like shouted something like at pennywise in the final scene that would have been really stupid oh absolutely because pennywise doesn't deserve anything no you know whatever but at the same time like if we have like the denouement scene and he's like on a date with a man, like that defines him as a. And I agree with almost, that. Which, uh, so that's why it's kind of. Too, I don't even too know. Late at that point, right? And that's why I don't even know what I would have instead of what we got. Mm-hmm. But if you think about what we got, there's something slightly reductive and redundant about his emotional closure. Is that he goes through the same motions he went through as a kid, which. As a visual cue is not the most satisfying in 2019. Uh, while I, I do get somewhat choked up at the sentiment of it, you know, like him remembering uh, Eddie and whatnot, it also means that his story is only visualized to a point, and the catharsis of him finally, quote unquote, being able to come out is still kind of a secret because he's only doing this on screen. Now, do I think that that means that when the movie ends, he doesn't go on to then just be an openly gay man? No, of course not. But there's something slightly simplistic about having that be the only fallout from uh, Pennywise's uh, terror on his uh, closeted homosexuality. Um, But I will say I was glad that the movie actually did foreground it. Um, The very fabricated uh, or just made up scene of him as a young child um, in the arcade with one of the Bowers cousins was really well done and mm-hmm. I thought that was a good tie-in to further illuminate what he's been dealing with and I thought it made his humor all the more I don't know relatable and being a mask for something other than just white pain <laughs> <laughs> you know and having a real reason to exist in uh, social circles so mm-hmm. 
So when it comes to ratings, uh, we'll make our way back to you, Nick, last, uh, since you probably have the most to uh, finish up on. Uh, I will say that I gave the first film a two and a half out of five, and I gave It Chapter Two three out of five, because I actually do think it's a slightly better film than the original, or the first one. Um, I think that overall, these films are just pretty good. Uh, you know, kind of teetering on the line of, of of mediocre to pretty good, and I think that's okay because I I, I don't necessarily know much about everything regarding the source material, but uh, you know, I, I think this sort of presentation of it was for the most part all it really could have been. Like, I think that even though I feel like this is not the greatest thing ever, that this is the definitive thematic version of it. And there should, and hopefully will never be no more further attempts for a while, at least 27 years, at least. Oh God. Yep. Um, and I think the thing that I will take away from these films is that the idea of depression and overcoming, childhood uh, downfalls is uh, wonderfully played uh, throughout the two films, especially in the second film. Uh, and um, I, I quite enjoy a lot of the little quips uh, through the characters in the first and in the second film, because I think they are quite similar in both films. And I think uh, that is done really well by the adults who play them as they are able to somehow show the adult version of that uh and that's uh that's really well done now filmmaking wise there's two things i want to hit on before i hand it off to toussaint uh one i loved the uh false showing of uh is it ben the character who is overweight and then uh, is now fit um showing like the like it made for someone who did not pay too much attention to the trailer like it makes it seem like that's who that is. And there's this guy like giving this presentation. Let me go to the real person. Um, I thought that was fucking great. And do you know the joke about that too? No. Is that the person who was giving the presentation played the young Ben in the TV miniseries. Oh, really? So if anyone oh, was wow. watching it, which, you know, and it's a very, cause he's not a very, he's not a known actor whatsoever. Right, right, right. But yes, that is the, you're like, oh, that's the young Ben, but all grown up. Oh, but that's the yeah. young Ben yeah. all grown up. Yeah. So that's pretty great. Really good. It's pretty good. And yeah. uh, I actually thought the score and the music here was actually really good. Um, I feel like it like found this weird sweet spot between like a Steven Spielberg film, but also like a blockbuster type well done score. Not like Hans Zimmer or something like that, mm-hmm. but just uh who was i who was i thinking of uh i was thinking of danny elfman throughout the film oh, okay. like i felt like there was a lot of feelings of like the tim burton era like yeah. batman not like it felt like the batman know, theme but, yeah. but in terms of the way kind the music of gothic was, macabre stuff. yeah yeah the way the music was presented throughout the film uh and it progressed throughout the scenes uh i thought the score was actually really strong in this film um, and I'm glad I remembered to mention that. So, yeah, I think overall, uh, okay, but not amazing for both of the It films. Moving on to Dusan. Yeah, I'm going to give this a uh, slightly higher rating. Actually, no, it's like I'm just going to give it a three. Um, I think that oh, this is a... twist. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's a good movie. I enjoy it a lot. I'm not going to rate the first film because I don't really remember the first what film. What would you say, much? just as far as not rating, but 
do you think that this is comparable to the first? Yes or no? At least from what I remember. Um, yeah. I, I mean, was... not in a scientific way, but just like, yeah, know, it wasn't a step down or a step up. Or no, anything. I okay. can't say this was a step down. Um, I'm probably on the same wavelength with this film as I would be with the the first film, um, like at least from what I can remember of yeah. that first uh, first viewing. But yeah, I mean, I enjoyed myself uh, watching this film, and that's really all I can all I can really take away from it. I enjoyed the horror. Um, I enjoyed the uh, sort of camaraderie bits, and I was like, uh, I enjoyed even though it's a scene that's not included in the original film. From what I can remember, them going back to their clubhouse. Um, showing them uh, when they were younger and then older, yeah. sort of entering into a space and being like, oh, it's a lot smaller than I thought it would be. It's like, I mean, that is something that every single person growing up like learns to to to, to their sort of childhood bedroom, their chi- their yeah. childhood be- bedroom, and it's like, and it's not a matter of necessarily like growing taller necessarily in a physical sense, but more of like an emotional sense of what you. F- what you bring into that room, your thoughts, what you what, like, your experiences that you bring into that room. Suddenly, the world that was so much larger to you when you were were younger is comparably smaller for the fact that your world has enlarged. I mean, yeah. uh, so that was pretty cool. Um, but yeah, I mean, it, like, when did we when did we go see this? We saw this like maybe a week ago. The two opening weeks ago. day, so September. Two weeks ago. Yeah, two weeks ago. Yeah, Thursday two weeks night. ago. My my memory about it uh, is already starting to fade. Um, take that. You're no longer in dairy. Yeah, take that as you will. But um, for what I do remember, I I had a good time with it. Yeah. So three out of five. Right on. I uh, as a book reader very much appreciate the. Uh, uh, the concessions that were made here in bringing this story to the screen. And like I said earlier, I'm never truly expecting something to to match what King does in the novel. So as long as I'm entertained and I'm able to see the characters up on screen as I know them as people uh, in the book, I'm, I'm all here for it. So I actually think I give them both the same rating across the board uh, for very different reasons. Uh, but three and a half for, for both features so that's probably my overall rating for for it as a uh, franchise but i gotta say this is going to become my new holy grail because if we can have uh extended editions of each lord of the ring film then we need what uh andy muschietti is already starting to hint and promise at because there was roughly about an hour and a half of footage excise from chapter two alone and i know there's also from when he made that the first one there was footage exercise from that as well um he has said he is interested in cutting an actual long like version nine hour yeah version. you know what and i'm not saying i watch it in one sitting but i'd love to see someone truly cut together with the footage they shot the actual restructuring of the book uh as from start to finish, as a bonus edition of the movie. I like them as they are, obviously, and I'd watch them probably like that uh, most of the time, but I'm very much interested to see what uh, would have been left on the cutting room floor and to see it get implemented in a way that's even more faithful to Stephen King's novel. But Hmm. overall, I just thought these are just a lot of fun and totally capture the spirit of childhood uh, fear and... What not? Okay. 
Well, out there, if you have any thoughts on it or it chapter two or both of them, or uh, really just on that property, yeah, um, or the TV miniseries, which is awful. Ooh, yeah. Did you watch that clip by the way that I sent you? No. God damn it, I'll Alex! Ne- I'll need to. Yeah. Okay. Because it's really funny. Yeah, I'm sure. Uh, you can always feel free to send them on to us at filmtankshow at gmail.com. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram at Film Tank Show. Uh, and you can also find our episodes on our website, filmtankshow.com, or on Apple Podcasts or Stitcher or any, not any, but a lot of the other. Spotify, uh, you yeah, name it. I was yeah. going to say, a lot of the other uh, podcast listing websites uh, by searching for Film Tank. Uh, coming up on our next episode, we're going to go a little bit back in time as we discuss the Martin Scorsese film Mean Streets, uh, which so stars mean. yeah, which stars Robert De Niro uh, as uh, Scorsese was obsessed with him yeah. uh, back in the good old days. And, and Harvey Keitel. Oh, he's in the film, but he wasn't obsessed with Harvey Keitel, I don't think. Mean no, Streets. but he, Harvey was in his first movie, and then he was in Mean Streets. I mean, he was a taxi driver, so I wouldn't say he was obsessed, but he was certainly keeping him close to, uh, at least during the 70s. Why mean streets? Why not nice streets? Well, we're going to find out. Well-paved streets. Speaking of... Uh, Private streets. Uh, speaking of uh, Martin Scorsese obsessions... Yeah. Uh, I've been... See that poster? What's that? For the Irishman? No. Doesn't look great. No, no, it's not, it it's not that like he, he didn't Netflix. see it. He's not saying no that he didn't see. It. He's saying no, I don't want to talk about it. Um, it looks like a Netflix poster. Yeah. I'm sure it is. I'm, I'm, I'm still. He's tuned out. Very concerned with the film. I'm sure it'll end up being pretty good. Yeah, yeah. We'll see. Uh, I'll watch day one. I'm just. I. Will you? Well, uh, probably not. Actually. Yeah. Three exactly. Bullshit. Yeah. Well, Probably if you were like, oh, say, let's get together and watch it, then I'd watch if it. If they release but it if on, a, on a Friday in November or something like that, like... But if I'm by myself, I might wait a day or something. No, we're we're going to be getting together to watch it the right. first day, probably. Uh, unless unless there's, like, other things going on, like, that I'm, I'm pretty decided on I'll that. I'll do it. That's, uh, I'm sure it's going to be pretty good. Hopefully. I've... I've I have no reason to think that he's going to make an absolute fucking clown show. I mean, I've liked things he's done in his later years, so mm-hmm. I don't know why I wouldn't dislike this. It's just the unfortunate Netflix bias in me where I'm just like, fuck, sure. fuck you. Yeah, sure. It's, I'm pretty much in the same boat, but... I mean, Triple Frontier, J.C. Chin... No, I'm not saying he's like my Scorsese level, but you take a, a director who's... Who was three for three in his career. Right, and at yeah. least made something interesting, which he's one. Like, All Is Lost might be my least favorite of what he did, but I would still rewatch that because I thought it was fascinating and whatnot. <laughs> but then you just have Triple Frontier, and it looks like something that was just vomited to Netflix. And it's yeah. just kind of like, eh. yeah. It's a very... Well, we're definitely going to do an episode on it because there's a lot happening here. Yes. Even even more than Roma. True. I mean, that that is a gigantic leap for them to go into this arena yeah uh anyways i was Sorry. going towards that as i've uh read that apparently leonardo DiCaprio is going to be making an appearance in the film in some capacity really mm-hmm. mm. that's a pretty high profile cameo yeah i would say so. so that's uh but it'll be the first time that his two muses are going True. to be together in a film and also too i feel like they are 
now going to be doing a gangster film where they play the two main characters, directed by Scorsese in his next film, Ooh. which I'm... I'm almost more interested oh, in that. Just as conceptually. Interested. Way more know. interested. Although, Even though I'm certainly looking forward to seeing Pesci and De Niro up on the screen again. Whatever the fuck um, that's going to be. But I also yeah. want to backtrack what I just said and okay. say, just to at least give Netflix credit and prove that I'm not always, like, you, you know, strongholds in my beliefs. You can hate on them. They're a shit company. Though. They are. Uh, if Disney but, if Disney puts them out of business, I'm fine with that. Me too. But I, mean, I, will I wouldn't s- be happy with that. Only insofar as like, look, one of these monopolies is going to eat the other, and I'm just like, I don't want to watch this. Yeah, but I will say, just as someone, if for some reason I don't like The Irishman, and someone's like, oh, you never like Netflix movies, I will say The Coen Brothers' Ballad of Buster Scruggs was a movie I watched that was a Netflix-only movie. Still haven't seen it. Where I felt like, oh, they somehow did retain their own voice and vision within Netflix. So it can be done, and I hope it is done. Yeah, uh, we'll see. Mm -hmm. As uh, a lot of people maybe will, although I'm sure it'll be overreported by (laughs) that group. I don't think anyone's going to write about that movie. What do you mean? That was a joke. Okay. So, uh, Mean Streets coming up on episode 203. Uh, so, from Nick Cheney to Son Egan, myself, Alex Diegman, uh, thank you very much for catching up with us here on Film Tank. We'll be catching up with you again. <laughs>